Serenissima New York. Your exotic skin, hair and beauty source and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today, Arganissima New York. Your beauty is our duty. Hello, hello, hello. It's Dr. Cheryl Bryant-Bruce, MD. You know me, the celebrity doc. And we are here with Chatters That Matters. Let's talk about it. And I am here with my co-host, Hisham Elamati, Hurricane H. As you well know, Chatters That Matter is your show. It is here to educate, entertain, and inform. And we enjoy bringing fabulous guests and all of the latest information. This year, we're focused around hip-hop because this is the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. And so we're having guests who are in the genre of hip-hop. And tonight, we have with us from the Wu-Tang Clan, uh, Christ Bear. And we also have Dr. Taji Wong, who is a psychologist in the Los Angeles area. And we'll be talking about mental health and how hip-hop has played a role in helping people to deal with mental health issues uh, over the years. So I want to start out, however, by saying that, again, this show is to entertain, educate, and inform. And although I am a medical doctor and Dr. Wang is a clinical psychologist, this information that we provide is not to be taken as medical advice. If you have any questions or concerns, then you should reach out to your own provider. This is just general information and does not apply to any specific individual. And we are not contracting with you as our personal patients by providing the information that we we provide. So any information that you receive off of this show is just for educational purposes and entertainment purposes only. So again, if you have any concerns or any questions, then we refer you back to your own provider to address those with you. With that being said, let us get on with our show and we welcome to, uh, to the show Ricky Aaron, who is our promotional manager and who brings all of these wonderful guests to join us. 
So let's start out by just talking about the psychology. Now, when hip hop first came onto the scene and uh, when rap first came onto the scene because they were kind of wrapped in together, um, there was a lot going on. There was a lot going on in, in the hood, uh, in the neighborhoods of, of brown and black peoples. And so it was a way of communicating. Hip hop gave people a voice. And initially, there was a lot going on in the hip hop. Um, there were a lot of things being worked out, a lot of, of anger, a lot of depression, frustrations, um, senses of, of hopelessness. Hip hop gave rappers and hip hop artists a voice. That voice has changed over the years because hip hop, like everything else, has grown and evolved. And what we've seen is the artists working through the throes of anger, working through some of the issues that were inherent in the neighborhood. What I'm seeing happening in the last couple few years is that it's taking a much more positive turn uh, that we are seeing hip-hop used for affirmation. We are seeing hip-hop used to build self-esteem. We are seeing hip-hop used really to sort out some of the mental health issues that have been inherent in the community. We've dealt with depression. We've dealt with anxiety, PTSD, grief, all of these sorts of things. And back in the day when hip hop first started, these were things that we did not talk about. They were kept in the closet. You had to appear strong. You had to appear healthy. God forbid someone should think that you were crazy or that you had some kind of problem. So everybody just kind of sucked everything up and let it boil around in the inside. And what it did was created bigger problems. Dr. Wong, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's interesting as you were talking about this and I was thinking about myself as a young girl growing up on the East Coast and first, you know, being exposed to like Curtis Blow and those kind of original people that were at the onset of this. And really thinking about it, and I think I'd love to own these words, but they're not mine. I think Ice Cube is the one who said it, that the original rappers were the poets and the reporters of the hood. They were the ones who came out and said, hey, this is what we go through every single day. This is what happens with police brutality. Here's how we're treated. Here are the ills of our communities that we're focused with that you guys don't even see and have no insight. And so we're going to peel back the curtain and just give you an insight into what's going on on the East Coast or the West Coast rappers are saying, here's what we go through with LAPD and these are our experiences. Right. Um, and so it definitely is a creative outlet for young people to express their thoughts, their emotions, their experiences. 
they're channeling their feelings and communicating their perspectives in really unique and creative and artistic ways. And as we as a society evolve and start to understand things like police brutality and what it's like to live in the hood and what it's like to be in the project and what that experience is like living paycheck to paycheck or or when you have to go to school, you're going through a war zone and you don't know if you're going to make it because it's like it's literally like Vietnam, if you will, because there's gunfire going over or there's, you know, helicopters flying overnight and you're sleeping in your bed and you're getting shot at in your bedroom. So and the PSD is real. <laughs> right. And so we had no idea about those experiences and what that was like day to day. So once we sort of got woke to that and hip hop exposed that and started the conversation within well, at that time, mainstream society and talking about this and getting you know woke about these experiences. Now it's evolved to social consciousness and mental health issues. And can we because now we're so accepting and society as a whole is so accepting of hip-hop it's ingratiated and ingrained in so much of society now it's it's about well, can you make it cool to have express your mental health issues can you make it cool and acceptable to be okay with that i have bipolar disorder or i have depression or i'm suffering from this issue and i'm self-medicating to deal with it because i have these voices in my head i think you know and the first person that i can think of and i i could be wrong about this but the first person i can think of that really put it out there about mental health issues was eminem eminem spoke widely about substance abuse and mental health issues and you know put it out there like this is what i'm dealing with and i got the crazy voices in my head that are making me do these various things and that wasn't heard of before that and so i think now it really is um about putting it out there being and, and self-acceptance and fostering a community and an environment where talking about mental health is not only necessary but it's accepted it's warranted it's important and very healthy I agree. I agree. And um, I think actually that there were a number of songs, even before Eminem, that actually touched on on uh, mental illness, that touched on the problems associated with the hood and the mental illness that, uh, that it brought. Um, Price Bear, you're out there on the playing field as a, an artist. Can you shed some light on that? Because I know that you all tend to know the music a lot better than, than we do as much as we love it. Artists always know what the other artists are, are, are doing. So can you shed some light on some of the artists that um, you recall have put out things that dealt with their their issues, their mental health issues, and, and how they had to cope with and deal with the things that were impacting them. Um, it's like both you guys touched on some very um, crucial points and uh, truths. Um, she spoke with Eminem, and he came with the whole, you know, his mother and the, you know, put her in the closet and the pills and all this, you know, mental situations. And then there were some other people like we had Scarface and the Ghetto Boy. My mind's playing tricks on me. You know what I mean? And he definitely talks about, um, they all talk about seeing things and, you know, and being illusions or whatnot, schizophrenia or whatnot. And then you, um, you know, it's just the involvement, you know, I think the collective consciousness is what it is. It's not just hip hop, it's just the world, you know, because my brother, Dirty Bastard, he was the first person to say, you know, once got burst and that was only, that was only gonorrhea. And we was like, what the hell did he just say? And then now it's, it's, People will tell you what's going on in their life, stuff you too much information. You know what I mean? But I think it's like you said, it was a um, 
was a therapeutic thing for kids and a child, for fatherless children like me. All the hip hop stars were like fathers to me, you know, fathers and whatnot. But so with that being said, um, it, it's just it just evolved. You know, we we were taken as um a little hobby at one time, and you know, it was a rock and roll rock and rollers that were able to do it until they were 60, 70 years old. Now you got my brother's Wu Tang spearheading the thing, and they're all fifty plus, and they're sixty. And they're torn as we speak, you know what I mean? So I think it's just the involvement, the collective consciousness and involvement of a man that is God. You know what I mean? Okay. Now, a lot of the artists were dealing with some really big issues. And some of them had some really big mental health meltdowns. And in 2014 you yourself had one of those meltdowns can you tell us about that um yeah it was a it was about the fact that um i'm, I'm the only product of my mother and father i got some half brothers and sisters but like i said you know the hip-hop artists were like fathers to me when i met wu-tang those are my personal heroes you know and um and coming from nation islam where i came i started rapping really just to um, cause Farrakhan said that the rappers were going to be able to reach more people than the ministers would ever be able to reach. So, so my folks trying to be Michael Max, I turned to be, try to be, you know, El Cool J or Rizza, you know what I mean? But so with that being said, um, my mother passed away and I was doing a great job because of the discipline from Nation Islam, it really helped in my artistry, you know, but and I was doing a great job. My mother passed away and, and that was just the time when it, it all, the reality hit me that, you know, um, I was really raised without father, you know, hands on. And like you said, um, we're able to be, provide therapy through the music and things like that. And I became one of those fathers even so when I was provide, able to provide a little therapy or whatnot. But, you know, just the involvement of it all, we just, we, 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 um, we're only 50 years old, you know what I mean? So at, at now, I think there's, there is artists that are definitely, Karis one, he's developed to a degree where it's just really, um, Phenomenal, you know, RZA, you, you can go on and on with the great minds of hip hop that have matured from their childhood, you know what I mean? But um, we definitely have come to a place now where um, we, we we collectively getting there. Some of us are there, some of us are still maturing, you know what I mean? So with that being said, I think that, um, yeah, we, we definitely come um, to a point where we have matured a lot, but we got a lot of ways to go. And my situation was just that, um, I hate to be rambling on, my situation was that when I lost my mother and I, um, I just realized that, you know, you, you treated like a God, you know, and, and when you a rapper in the hood, you treated like a God and like, you know, so with all this, you know, accolades and what's going on, it's just really hard to um, deal with a loss. Like um, when Kanye West lost his, mother and i was you know privy to that i lost my mother already, you know after for him but i knew i said well he's gonna have to go through a lot because you know losing your mother and having to deal with the intense intensity of being in a pop world and the commercial world that hip-hop is going to you know it's just something that um a lot of people you know <laughs> many men couldn't could um withstand so i turned to to drugs because you know that's what we do in the hood. You know we turn to mm -hmm. drugs. You know and white white community suburbans they turn to psychiatrists and therapists and things of that nature. We turn to just get high, man. You need to have a drink. And so I was doing that, just medicating myself for a couple of years, and then uh, it just finally hit me because I had babies to to um try to fill the void, lose my mother, and then every time I had a child, it would be great, and then um you know the 
there would be some with the girl, me traveling and doing tours and everything like that. And then they would want to take the child away from me because um, I wasn't ready to be a father, to be a husband yet. You know what I mean? You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, I just, I just, I just kind of um, just, just blacked out because I, uh, I didn't really have um, that uh, yeah, that that family essence that my mother provided for me. You know what I mean? I didn't have that, you know, that sense of um, you didn't know, have the support. That, I didn't, I didn't have that support system, you know what I mean? So when I lost her, it was just it was just really crazy. And then I tried to find uh, that love for my mother in my daughters. And, you know, your daughters, are your children are your blessings, but they definitely you definitely got to find your own happiness, you know? That's what I had to come to that conclusion. So I think I just, um, after my third marriage attempt in the restraining order, I had a breakdown because I realized this is not the solution. And um I was turning into the man my father was, like this Rolling Stone. Papa was a Rolling. I was like, and I dreaded being that person. And so one day, um, I, I was high in Hollywood, uh, my condo, and I said, "Well, I need to have a vasectomy." And with that being said, you know, I got so high that I forgot I was an MC, not an MD. You know, and um, so with that being said, I made the attempt to do, you know, the act, and um. You know, next thing you know, it's all over the news and everything like that. You know, so it's just, right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was high, okay. and it's something that I'm not relation to the extreme. Pardon me. I said Wait, you me? Genital, genital mutilation to the extreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, um, I'm not the first person that was considered mutilated to mutilate itself. His genitals in the past. Right. You know, mobile. They thought Moses was crazy when he mutilated himself in the past also, you know, just putting that right. out there. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. But, so, it also, but it also sounds like through a series of ill events, you didn't have the coping resources or skills nor support system, family, parents, mentor to turn to, you know, during that time of significant stress in your life. So, you know, coping with fame exactly. and stardom and being in the public eye brings with it its own unique set of challenges. And if you don't have really good coping skills or the ability to set really strong boundaries, a strong sense of self identity, when insults or stressors come at you, it's really difficult to manage that and not to have anybody to turn to. So the Nation of Islam is a very strong support system, but it sounds like maybe at some point in your path that became a different part of your life and a part of your past as opposed to what you needed in that moment. And I wonder if you had other mentors or structure around you you know, do you think that you would have reached for a different skill or a different coping mechanism than drugs and alcohol? Indubitably, no doubt, without a doubt, you know, um, I'm not too much older than, you know, the guys in the Wu-Tang Clan, they in their 50s, but at the time, right. you know, I grew up with them and they made a lot of mistakes in their 20s too when I was young. And, and so we all made mistakes. So at that time, you know, Rizzo had lost his mother a couple of years before that. And he, it was difficult for him to, to deal with that. You know, he was a mentor of mine to see him like almost lose it with his mother. It, it was it was kind of difficult. So with that being said, when my mother passed away and I went to him, he really didn't have the faculties to kind of help me. You know what I mean? And, um, so they weren't really there said, um, support you. Nah, they. I think they were, but they they just didn't know how to how to deal not with it. Not you know, in we, the way you needed it. Right. Yeah, we know why. Then I was. I come from Long Beach, you know, in the hood, and it's it's really a gang affiliated hood. And don't get me wrong, I left the gang of life a, a long a long time ago, but. You know, a lot of the gang, the gangs in the hood, they embrace me because you know they all understand who I who I am. And I stand for. They embrace me, but even then, what they could do could not um, 
really provide me any type of solace or anything. But it was some person that actually his mother died. And he was the only person that was able to kind of at least help me just keep standing, you know what I mean? Go go mm -hmm. forward. Because I think the only, only person who could relate was someone who actually went through what I went through, lost their mother, you yeah. know, and, mm -hmm. and he told me that no one no one owes you anything. And that kind of like pick, lift me up, you know what I mean? And then um so with that being said, um I just uh thank God I had a big I had a a very strong support system coming out of the nation of Islam, just in myself. I was just built with this fortitude, you know what I mean? This, and um, so I was able to get through it because I knew that I didn't get to rapping for the girls and the jewelry and all that stuff. I got to rapping to um, put a message across. So when I when I this happened to me, I seen it as a beautiful opportunity because I said, "Come, come, hell or high water, I'm gonna keep on going." So I knew that you know the God within me was telling me, "Hey man, you you said you wanted to do it. This is your opportunity to be." Uh, um, a poster boy for mental health, for stay on the drugs, to you know, to get on the right path and let's mature, you know, as as men, you know. I, I came into the game as a child. When I was a child, did things as a child, and it's now stopping me to do things as an adult, you know. So I am going to ask a, a relatively indelicate question, but I know that it's one of those questions that the audience wants to know. When you decided to self-mutilate, did you completely sever your member? And I know there was a point where you could have had it uh, reattached, but you chose not to. And you had a reason behind that. Can you talk to us about that as well? Um, I, 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 um, I did sever it all off. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty good with the ladies still, you know what I mean? I, I mean, they, I get no complaints. If they're okay. lying to me, I want to keep on lying, okay? But okay. with that being said, um, I, um, I had, uh, you know, uh, a real long talk with myself in the hospital, and I knew that it was it's possibly that I might not be able to have sex again because it was just so, I didn't know, I didn't know what they were going to be able to do. You know, we had some plastic surgeons coming and everything like that. So once um, I was at the hospital, and they, they didn't even know if it was going to work. They, you know, they did their best, and they wanted to know. So... You know, and I had sex for the first time. And for the first time, the woman I was with was my wife that I was with prior to. And she was pleased, you know, because it was a callous type of thing going on with the, um, you know, you sever your arm and then someone arm, it gets solid and it gets hard like that, you know, they that limb. Right. So that's what happened with the limb. So I'm always hard. Pardon me, ladies, for being so brutally honest, but it's very, it's, it's, it's a lot sh smaller than it was, but it's just always hard. So, I was pleased, okay. and when they said that hey, you could probably um, get it reattached if we um, take some skin from your hand or something like that, but they said there could be a there could be a problem, a possibility you could lose your fingers down the line. So mm. I was like, "Yo, my fingers are nah, mm. I'm, I'm cool. you know what I mean? Because I'm an artist, I need my hands to write, you know, and I'm here for more than just sex. You do, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's not a fair trade off. <laughs> Nah, that's not a fair trade-off. Especially when I was getting good, I was getting good re reviews. You know what I mean? I was if I was getting all bad reviews, it was like, oh my god, it's not gonna work. Then I'll probably go, mm -hmm. you know, what are you gonna do? You know, I'm a man, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, other than that, I'm so blessed with Almighty God Allah that not only did I get my life spared, I'm able to have a normal sex life. You know, I definitely am not 50 years old, so I know that my libido ain't what it used to be. But as far as that, I still enjoy sex like I used to. You know, so. You and every other fifty-year-old guy out there, the libido yeah, isn't yes. what it used to be. So that is okay. no, it's what it used to be. You know. Mm -hmm. And and on the positive, 
side, you are now a married man, correct? No, you know what? I'm divorced. I got divorced. I got divorced. Why? Because um, the COVID happened. We got married right before COVID, and then it was kind of just you know, COVID was crazy. It was we didn't we didn't know each other enough to do that that COVID thing. But um, I was going to report it to TMZ, but she didn't. It was too much media things for her, so she didn't want to go there. TMZ wanted to report it and didn't. So um, maybe just to get out, I am not married anymore. I'm single man now, you know, so. Okay, ladies, he's a single man. He's better watch back. out. <laughs> mm. All right, okay. What are your thoughts about, you had talked about being in a couple of relationships in the past and you've got some, you've got girls, right? Did you say you have two two girls? Did I hear you? Yeah, I got two, I, I got two, two um, girls and a possibly third. I got to get um, a blood test for the third, but I got two definitely two daughters that are mine, you know, indubitably. I love them to death and 99.9999% mine. Wonderful. So what are your thoughts about, you know, as you're moving forward, you sort of look at this as a new lease on life. You know, you've got the Nation of Islam strong in you that gives you fortitude and strength. What What are your thoughts now about moving into relationships? Like, do you think that that's something that you want to do or do you want to take your time or uh, what are the next well, steps for you with that? Um, I, I definitely, indubitably, um, want to always be in a relationship. How come from Nation of Islam, we taught that it's just not good for men to be alone. And it's like, what are you doing? So that being said, of course, but I'm just not, um, you know, um, just rushing into marriage or anything like that. But I do have a couple of ladies I talk to here and there. And, um, with that being said, yeah, I definitely am looking for a relationship. Some guys might be like, hey, man, you, you, yeah, you, relationship, you'd be surprised. You know, mm -hmm. women are nasty, more nastier than men. And a lot of women, they really want to know what's going on. I'd be, you'd be surprised at the, the comments and the responses I get, you know. I thought it was, I thought it was over. I said, I'm done. Black women are done with me. But, you know, um, no, not only black women, but I love my black sisters, of course, the most of all. But I think women of all races, they just kind of, um, a lot of love them to have compassion, you know what I mean? So with that being said, and once they get to know me, they find out they're not missing nothing at all. You did what I'm saying? And we all know that there's more than one way to pleasure a, a woman, so. That's what I'm talking about. You feel me? Yeah. <laughs> I feel you. Get creative. <laughs> you know, I'm learning some stuff. I'm learning some stuff now, you know? So, yeah, it's just good. I'm really um at a good place in my life. I'm, I'm better than ever, though. You know what I mean? Because I know I wouldn't be here if that not took place. The path I was going with, I would have been not here to tell the story. But I think it's definitely going to be um, good for my people, and you know, it's just go from the seas, and you know, from um, generations to let let them know that the resilience of Black people. You know what I mean? Period. Right. Right. And I mean, I think one of the things that's important here is again, this was a, a very, very dramatic event and that's a very personal experience and yet you had to share it with the, the, the world, uh, not just the physical aspect of it, but again, the psychological aspect of it. And yet you got through and you came through stronger. And at that time, you did not have the coping skills that you needed. What do you think is different now? What coping skills are you using to deal with the adversities that come in your life now? Because we all know that, I mean, we, we go up, we go down, we go up, we go down, and that's just life. So what do you do differently now? 
I think because um I study and I've always studied re religious rigorously. That's how I got with the Wu Tang Clan. They were just so enamored with me because they were surprised me coming from the West Coast. I had this um this knowledge of self. So, but I just I just went off. You know, you go we go straight sometimes. You know what I mean? And so I went straight. When, when my mother was sick. Actually, my mother was sick for a lot of time. She had seizures and and um so I, I just start you know getting off that path. Start studying and then just give it a yeah. second. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, while we're waiting for that to kind of settle itself down, um, Dr. Wong, okay, what are some of the things that you can recommend oh, now, for people who are who find themselves in a situation like Christ Bear, where they're feeling isolated, they're feeling like they don't have uh, a, a way of, of reaching out to anybody? or that the people that they're reaching out to are for whatever their reasons unavailable to them. What are your recommendations in terms of ways to cope with that kind of situation in uh, a, a more effective and, and less destructive way? Yeah, so I So, uh, you know, from, if we're talking about someone that's coming like Christ's situation, I think he's still trying to get in on the call. Um, from his situation, if you're in an environment where you can't seek out mental health, there's always county mental health services that are accessible. But if you're an artist, if you're in the hip hop community and a rapper and you're dealing and struggling with some things, you know, I would say utilize your creative expression. You know, if you can do music, if you can art, do art projects, if you can write as a therapeutic outlet to provide a means of self-reflection, emotion, you know, emotional release, anything that you can do to get out those angsty feelings, to channel that from rage and anger and angst into some type of an expression. However, mm -hmm. whatever that mode or channel is for you, number one. The other thing I think is that's free and easy and accessible is I tell people to get into a state of mindfulness. Like if you can be mindful, if you can engage in mindfulness activities, and mindfulness can be as easy as, you know, getting your favorite drink and taking a walk in the park. You know, it can be going down to the beach if you're on the West Coast. You know, it can be if you're if you can go into a state of meditation, I think meditation is the cheapest, most effective resource and arsenal that I could give any person to put in their tool in, in, in their toolbox to use. Like if you can quiet the mind and just still the mind, the, the benefits physiologically and mentally it's from slowing the brain waves and calming yourself is really immense and really, you know, beneficial. So if you can learn how to either pray or meditate, and I love it because Steve Harvey was the one I often borrow this from him. He says, praying is when you're talking to God and meditating is when you're listening for the answers. So I tell people right away that that is essential. It's essential in your mental health toolbox to be using this on an ongoing basis. Um, and then any kind of um, within yourself, if you can do lifestyle modifications, if you can do your sleep hygiene, if you can exercise, if you can look at your diet, if you can get your water intake, you know, any of those things that you can be doing for your own well-being and emotional health, I think is essential. And that doesn't require anybody else. It's you and you with yourself, you know? So I think if we start with those basic things, a mindfulness practice and a prayer practice, you know, a creative expression and a means to get out the angst, whether it's writing, painting, art, whatever. And then the main things are look at your sleep schedule, look at your eating schedule, look at your exercise, do some yoga, 
any of those kind of activities, I think if people start practicing those things on an everyday basis, right, I think you're going to see improvements in well-being and health overall. And then we can layer in some of the other coping skills and skills management stuff and therapy and all of that other. But this is people can start doing tomorrow with no with no other incentive. Now, one of the things that I always like to toss in is paying attention to your diet. Uh, because we are what we eat and food definitely has a huge impact on the way that we feel and the way that we even think. So modifying the, the diet when we are feeling in those low places or when we're feeling particularly stressed, mm-hmm. pulling back on the meat, you know, the meat is heavy. It tends to send the blood to the stomach so that it's, it's sludging. And that takes blood and oxygen from the brain, and it allows us to get into a deeper state of depression. So eating fruits and vegetables that are giving us a nice natural boost as opposed to refined sugars, which is one of the things that people tend to run to when we get into these states. We go for the refined sugar. We go for ice cream. And there is a real reason that people go for ice cream because there is an ingredient in the ice cream that is actually pacifying and and soothing. But then there are also lots of other things in the ice cream, like the sugars Mm -hmm. that counter act that and uh, we end up at the end of the, the day we've eaten an entire carton of ice cream and now we're feeling guilty about having eaten the entire carton of ice cream and then we get that sugar crash so then we're feeling even worse than we were before so think about the things that that you're you're eating and really try and reach for some healthy refreshing foods fruit mm-hmm. light vegetables salads things like that can give us a boost of energy, add some protein, throw in some nuts, gives us a boost of energy and will help us to to feel better. And it also gives us more to be able to to cope with things. You know, if we have the fuel, then we can do the work. So also one of the things to to consider. Now you hit on meditation Mm -hmm. and a lot of people, I mean, everybody's heard meditation and a lot of people would like to do it, but have no idea yeah. how to, to yeah. get into it. So can yeah. you talk to us a little bit about how just like give us a little brief meditation exercise? Yeah. And so I, I teach this every day to my patients that I work with, because I really feel like I said, it's the single most effective thing that you have in your arsenal. And I start off with telling people really quickly that I want them to get laser focused in their thinking, right? I want you to clean up your thoughts because we're very sloppy thinkers, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, it's almost like if I came over to your house and I brought my puppies with me and I just let my puppies run amok all over your house and they were peeing all over the place and tearing up stuff. And you would say, you've got to control this. So we would put the puppies maybe in a crate and or maybe put them on a leash and kind of calm them down, do puppy pads. You're ranking you have to wrangle your thoughts in the same way. When your thoughts are all over the place, like that allows and, and leads to negative emotion and negative feelings, right? And so meditation helps to calm the mind and quiet the thoughts. And I tell people it doesn't have to be complicated. You can do it however you want. I want people to meditate 15 or 20 minutes every day. That is what I prefer. But if you only give me five minutes, then I'll take that. And I tell people you can use the Calm app, you can use Headspace. 
you can use whatever you go on YouTube and type in meditation for anxiety, for depression. They, and we can get into the science on biurnal beats, on selfagio frequencies. There's a lot of science, quantum mechanics and physics behind it, but I won't get into that right now. Right now, I'm just going to say, it doesn't matter to me if you listen to flutes, if you listen to soundscapes, the ocean, you know, thunderstorms, if you, you know, listen to um, the uh, sound baths, but just listen to something that's common. They even have deep space. I love deep space. It's brown noise and it makes you feel like you're in a spaceship, like an outer space. And you're like, I pretend I'm an astronaut. I love it. But <laughs> pick something that you like and get in a quiet space where you're not going to be disturbed right? And you can have a candle, a flickering flame, you can close your eyes, you can put on aromas that are nice, and just quiet your mind. And I loved it, because I explained it to a patient once. And she said, what do I do when my thoughts come up? And, you know, start start thinking about things. And she said, you know, what I did was is when it came up, I just went, "Mm -hmm." like sort of when somebody's talking to you, and you don't want to be disturbed, but they're interrupting you, but you don't want to be rude. And you just you acknowledge it, but you, so like that. So the goal is to meditate and to meditate is just to still and quiet the mind. And as thoughts come up, just notice them and just nudge them to the side and keep on meditating. And that if you intend, set that side of time, the time aside to meditate and you spend that time doing it and you do a practice of every day for 30 days, I tell people, watch and see the changes that produce in your life. Watch and see the clarity of mind. Watch and see the calmness that overcomes because source energy or God or infinite intelligence, however you want to refer to that, is trying to communicate with us and help us to move forward as a collective consciousness, as a collective you know, race. And in order to be able to hear what's being said and how we're being guided, we need to get quiet and get in alignment so we can. And, you know, the thing I find it's interesting is it's the one thing that people say when I do it, I've never had somebody say that was terrible. I didn't like it. Didn't work for me. I didn't feel good. I felt terrible. Nobody ever says that. People always come back and say, I feel fantastic. I feel amazing. But the problem is, is that I don't have time to do it. I say, you don't have time not to do it. You don't have time not to do it because it's so essential. So I don't know. That wasn't an exercise, but it was the setup of how to do it. You know. Right. And then, and then something that you said that was really important, you said, do it for 30 days. If you do it for 30 days, it becomes a habit. Not only does it become a habit, but it actually changes the chemistry in the brain. So after 30 days, your brain is in a much calmer place. The chemicals in the brain are much more soothing as opposed to the disruptive chemical that you have when you're stressed and anxious and upset and and depressed. One of the things, Dr. Wong, that uh, is a problem in the African-American community and and actually all of the black and brown communities tend to have difficulty seeking psychological counseling. I think that uh, one of the things that's happened recently, um, partly because of COVID, but partly because we started to see a lot of the entertainers melting down and talking about going for help. And I think that that kind of gave the public permission to allow themselves to, to admit to being fragile when they are. To what do you attribute the fact that it is so difficult 
for minority communities to embrace psychological care. And have you seen a difference in the last few years? Have you seen bridging through that and better utilization? Yeah, I think uh, originally, well, to answer your first question within the African-American community specifically, um, in terms of accessing mental health care, it's not been part of the culture. It's not something that we did. It's not something that we talked about. It was like, you you buck up and deal with it. You don't comply and complain. And matter of fact, we don't even have time because we're trying to put food on the table. We're working, we're busy doing stuff. I don't have time to be worrying about you know, your emotions or your feelings. <laughs> You know, you know, and and mom was so overwhelmed with everything, you know, that she was dealing with, you know, working a in in my home, working a low paying job, you know, relationship issues. There was no time to be dealing with mental health like you just had to you just dealt with it. You dealt with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I think within with African-American males, there is a bit of to borrow from the brown community, a bit of machismo. I'm not going to acknowledge and put out there that there's something wrong. I got this. I'm good. What you mean? You're not good. I'm good. Like. You know, so I'm not going to appear weak. I'm not going to put myself out there like that in many, many ways. But I think as our consciousness evolves and as society evolves and we start talking about more things and hearing different people in different communities talking about their own struggles, then it makes it safe and accessible. You know, and I think as what's happening is I'm seeing younger people and more females embracing it. And as females embrace it, then so do others within the community, right? Right. The males go along with that as well. So I do, I am seeing an uptick in African-American females seeking out treatment. That is Mm -hmm. absolutely for sure. And I am starting to see more and more in my practice, um, you know, African-American males coming in. Now we have to make it accessible. So whether that be through your job, whether that be as an EAP service, you know, or some type of easily accessible, low cost, and and, and my job will support it so that I don't have to take off time from work, because I also have a little bit of job insecurity. So I can't be messing with my work, and coming to therapy during work hours. So if you can make it work in that way, and then I got to have a rapport and a relationship with the person that I'm meeting with, I got to know that they understand me, and they know what I'm talking about, and they know where I come from, and they understand the issues that I'm bringing to the table. And I don't want to have to educate them when I'm trying to come and get help for the problems that I'm already getting. So I've got to make sure that the playing field is not only accessible, but once I get there, are there people that who understand me and who I can relate to and who I can build a rapport and a relationship with pretty quickly so I can get my needs met, if that makes sense. Now, because they do have a different way of relating to the world and an entirely different set of pressures than we do, do you find that the men relate better to a male therapist, even though they're far and few in between, um, do you find that they relate better to a, a male therapist? Absolutely. Men need male role models. We need male support groups. We need, you know, male influencers that can come out and express their own mental health struggles, their challenges that they went through, because it's social validation. I get validation from you when I hear you talk about, because then I can go, oh, I relate to you. I get you. Oh, this is about me. I get to read this book or watch this movie or see this thing. And you look like me. You've gone through what I I have gone through. So if you could do it, so can I. So can I. I can get through this too. But up until then, I have nobody to look up to. Right. So I'm making my own path and trying to figure out what that looks like. And that sometimes is daunting and difficult, you know. So a man needs a male 
young boys need, you know, positive role models to look up to, like what Christ Bearer was talking about in his early experiences. He looked up to Wu-Tang, you know, KRS-One, those types that have evolved to the next level that are coming with, you know, consciousness and levels of conversation that make me think that I can do more than what I see around me and that I can evolve to whatever I, uh, my mind is my limit. If I can open up my mind and really recognize that I get what I think about and I get what I speak about, whether I want it or not. I never said you you wanted it, but I said you talked about it and you manifested it in your life. So if I can have people teach me that who look like me, then I have a much better chance as I move forward in this existence of being successful. Right. And then, I mean, again, there there is a, a different way that men relay because uh, some years back, I had an, uh, a resource and services center for children with disabilities. And when you have kids with disabilities, the mothers get supported, but the fathers very seldom get supported. So I put to, together a support uh, group. And one of the things that I very quickly learned was that men and women related differently. You know, women were, were very direct and, you know, it was more touchy feely and, you know, we would we could talk face-to-face kind of things. But I found that for men, it was more of a side-by-side, you know, having a conversation, talking about the ball game and, you know, well, by the way, have you experienced this? It's a collaboration. Yes, absolutely. So it was, it was much more tangential and you kind of had to come at it sideways, but they always got there. And I think that, you know, men do relate to each other in a, a very different way that makes both the male interaction in a counseling setting uh, mm-hmm. a good thing, but also group interaction. They seem to respond very well to that group interaction where it isn't just about you. And as you said, where they can hear, oh, you have that problem too. Well, yeah, let's talk about that some more. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I love it, that you highlighted it in that way, because if I have a male that will come to me with a particularly a substance abuse issue, and if he is in the public eye in some way, then I definitely, I'll start off and get things going, but I absolutely want you to connect with a male therapist that deals with male issues so that you can specifically talk about those unique challenges and get support that I could never provide or Mm -hmm. that you don't feel comfortable. It might take me longer to get to those issues because you may be less likely and less comfortable sharing those particular issues. Christ bearer has been really fantastic in opening up and talking about like, here's what happened when I cut off my member. Here's how that, you know, my sexual experiences were after that. That's what this looked like. Here's what I I felt like. Well, we didn't talk about all that, but you see what you you see what I mean? Much more open about that, but in individual therapy, it might've been, it might've taken a bit longer for him to open up. Whereas if you were talking to somebody like hurricane, for instance, that was a therapist, it might come up immediately and there might get other layers of it that I would never understand. Right. That makes Absolutely. Sense. Absolutely. So Christ Bear, are, are you able to um, get on with us now? I can see you. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yeah. You can't see me? We oh, can yeah. See you and we, we can hear you. Can you yeah. And we can hear you much more clearly now. <laughs> yeah, this is good. So we were at you, you were going to tell us about the coping things that you did. Um, the coping things that I did, um, like I said, meditation and, and study, you know, most, most, most important thing, meditation and study is the same thing for me. And uh, other than that, um, I definitely was a guy that loved 
pussy, part my, you know, French. But with that being said, um, it's it's still the same to me. It's still it still feel the same to me. You know what I mean? And uh-huh. I cry like a baby when I had my first nut because I was like, God damn, this pussy feels like pussy. And um, it, it, was, <laughs> it was it was a blessed thing. You know what I mean? And um, with that being said, um, yeah. I, so I, I really don't care about what nobody says and the things of that nature because. Um, happiness, I really found out truthfully is what you make it. So I was able to coping with it was like it's like it's like it's like you know the harder you throw a ball down, the higher it, it bounces up. You know what I mean? So having to have to be um you know humiliated and degraded by the whole world, I feel like that made my skin so tough that you know I, I nothing phases me. I just walk with my head high everywhere. If somebody is you know. You know, if, if guys talk about my dick, then it's like they must be gay or some shit. And a woman is talking about my dick, I'll always welcome that. You know, what are they saying? I welcome that. Let's talk about it. You know, what are you gonna do? Yeah. You know, but that's that's how I've been able to cope with it. Just cope with it because I was taught by my brother Rizzo. You got to learn. We got as black people got to learn to embrace our failures. I'm proud of the fact that what I did was a big mistake and probably never done in the annals of history. And I'm able to live with a smile on my face. And with that being said, I'm just proud of myself and I'm embracing it because it gives me the opportunity to teach my people, especially the youth of my people, that, hey, man, you know, this, this world is going to try you and test you as a, as, as a black person, as a black. But the, the, the blessing about that is there's nothing that they can throw at you that you can't overcome. Do you know what I mean? So I, I just love the fact that um, I was able to um, console myself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My higher self was able to console my lower, my lower self. You feel know I me? Mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, did you at any point ever seek counseling? Yeah, I, I'm actually uh, seeing a psychiatrist right now. You know, and it's it's it's, it's been good. It's been a blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was a therapist and a um, psychiatrist before I left the hospital. I was in the hospital for like a month, and they was they was they was beautiful. You know what I mean? They were beautiful. So I'm somebody like. You know, um, I think the young lady was speaking today, or speaking earlier, like, you know, black people, we got this machismo, you know, about it, especially in, in hip hop. Like, I'm good, on, you know, but once I was able to let my guards down and just get that therapy, somebody that really um was opening up and wasn't going to judge me, it really helped me out a lot. And that's why I went back to the psychiatrist and I've been dealing with them. And I don't care who knows, so what, you know what I mean? Because uh, it, it, it's, it's, it helps my happiness and my peace. And as um, as a black male, one of the areas of pushback that we hear from men about uh, their resistance to go to therapy, the first thing they say is, "I don't want anybody in my head." You know, I don't want anybody messing in my head. What is your answer to that? Oh, uh, my answer to that is that. Um, you know, you you always got to make sure the conversations that you have with, with yourself are always positive and good and beautiful. You know what I mean? No matter what, you got to make sure those conversations you have with yourself is good. And I think I was saying earlier, about all the negative, you know, energy, those conversations, we talk to ourselves really ugly sometimes, we don't even realize it, you know, but we, we it's just it's ourselves, conversations in our mind with ourselves. So I changed the conversation I had myself. I was always taught conversation I have with myself is gonna be you are great you are the greatest if they can't see it that's on them and you know that that's really helps me that's how I was able to do the therapy or whoever it is and I'm able to decipher what I could use and what is probably not 
for me. You know what I mean? So I, I, I just, yeah, like I said, that just going through what I went through, that fire, there's nothing that, you know, some people say, hey, man, I don't want that around me. Black people, they voodoo. I don't want those spirit getting in me. And I was you know, I grew up in a Christian church, but now I'm at a point where there's nothing that can infiltrate me if I don't allow it to. You know what I mean? Just that, um, that, um, for every difficulty comes an equal and opposite level of each, basically. You know what I mean? And that was a level of difficulty we can imagine. You know, picture her, you know what I'm talking about the difficulty it had to go through. And the level of ease is just is just beautiful because um I'm able to be comfortable with myself. And a lot of people would probably imagine, man, I would I can't I heard people say, man, if I was him, I would have killed myself. I'm like, you dummy, you know what I mean? Like life is all about sex, you know what I mean? For right. hell, you know? Right. Yeah, and just and I Guys, back in the day, I've been like, yo, that's crazy. There's nothing to live for now. But now, just being able to experience this other side of life, I'm like, whoa. You know, um, everybody should chop this shit off, really, though. I'm just playing with. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend it for everybody. No. Hurricane, <laughs> <laughs> right, are you ready to jump on that train, my friend? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a, I, I, it's a, it's a tough conversation. I, I, you know, a guy to a guy. I, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, I mean uh, it might be considered involvement of the of, of the species at one point in time. You know what I'm saying? they might be like, yo, you must evolve. You must evolve the crisis. <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing i mean from like you talked about the doctor doctors you talked about how a guy's perception and, and relationship in terms of uh first just just the idea of psychiatry and, and the support system i mean i'm listening to 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 uh, crisis you know story and uh i feel the pain <laughs> and i i mean listen you it's working out it's great i you know i i have all the love for that but but I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, I think I think like I, I I just think about it and I just can't, you know, even like fathom that that could happen. Uh, and again, especially like if I volunteer, that's not going to work. <laughs> um, <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> but but uh, but but it is it is. Listen, it was a, a decision and, and you you're you're agreed to it. You you've I guess you're set with it. You understood it and uh, it, it it's working out and you're uh, in good terms with it. Right. I think the average, you know, guy would probably question that uh, that, that that decision and or not even entertain it. But but again, I everybody's different. You had a certain set of circumstances that that drove that decision, and and you agreed to that decision and you were comfortable with it. At the end of the day, I mean, that's really what it is. It doesn't matter. You said it yourself. Your, your health, your body. It's not all about sex, and it's all about that. It's about you and and who you are as as a human, as as a person. And it's working for you from 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 your your mindset. Everything is working, so that's all that matters. And and again, it worked out to the benefit where you got some additional fame out of it. Why not? You know, uh, you know, whatever works. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody's got you know a certain angle, and whatever they do and the decision that we make, it's important, and uh, we live with it, right? And and you have to accept it, and you move on. I mean. But but like if you're asking me, Doc, you know, it's it's a tough decision. <laughs> it's it's a it's a pickle. <laughs> Literally, it's a tough one. It was a blessing disguise to me because I, that wasn't my. I wasn't trying to cut none of my stuff off. You know what I'm saying? But I I don't know how to perform a vasectomy. I found out the rough way. 
So with that being said, some of it has to be cut off. But I'm going to tell you something. I have been able to get to the clitoris so much better, easier, in a way that, um, yeah, I'm not going to reveal all my secrets. You know what I mean? I get way more pussy now than I did before. You believe that? You Seriously, Hurricane, I get more pussy now than I did before. I'm not lying. <laughs> I, I, well, that's a PSA. That's a PSA. There you go. There you go. And I, and and, I, I have no problem throwing women. You know, guys, get the fuck. Yeah, excuse me, sir. But women, no problem. I let them see it. It's, you know, I'm definitely here for the um the development of science. You know, the scientific scientific progression. And, and and actually, from a scientific point of view, let me just kind of from a, a let's do a little physiology oh, lesson, so here. biology here, yeah, and kind of understand this. Um, a for starters, whether you're male or female, we all start out as females in the womb, and it isn't until the male uh, sex hormones actually activate the growth of the penis that a male transitions into being anatomically a male. So okay. if you think about it, if you think about it now, he has, he has cut off the penis, but he still has some, some, some tissue there. Mm -hmm. Anatomically, that isn't tremendously different than what a female has going on because the female clitoris is the equivalent of the male penis in a minuscule form. So he, I mean, still, he still has everything he needs. To that, sounds, that, sounds a that sounds good theory, but let me tell you something, Doc. First intelligence existing within the atom, and there was no penis, no vagina. There was intelligence. There was supreme intelligence and existence out of the atom. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that was man. But I love the way you guys think. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. But the point there was that um, from a uh, from a an, an anatomical, a biological, a physiological standpoint, uh, he has everything he needs to experience it, everything, because uh, one of the questions that was in the chat was, is he still able to experience an orgasm? But he still has everything he needs to be able to do so. And the other part of that is that a lot, a lot of a good I still got a good four Right, right. And a large part of orgasm is actually psychological anyway, because um pardon? I told her, listen, listen to the doctor, yeah. I I am being schooled. <laughs> I'm, so, def I'm definitely, definitely, I'm definitely more into uh, the joys of. I thought before this happened, women was not real to me. Like women were, they were. I had a mother and a sister, but they were like flesh bots to me. You know what I mean? They were like Muppets. No disrespect. I did, they weren't real. When they cried, I didn't really get. You know. But then once this happened, I was forced to, you know, look to other ways to please a woman. But then when I found out I could have sex and I could do what I could do, I had already got addicted to. Just get into the mind of a woman, have sex with a woman's mind. You know what I mean? So now right. I, I just play, I love this place I'm in now. You know what I mean? I really appreciate my black woman far more than I ever had. It would have been a shame to leave this planet not having this high level of appreciation that I have. You know what I mean? Now I say some things when I'm talking to you guys and part of my because um I think 
Nothing I can say at this point. It's not gonna shock people too much. You know what I mean? So if I say pussy a couple times, so what? Please don't take it personal. Because I really do love pussy. There's a lot that, of that, that is minor compared to what we hear on the radio every day. There's a lot of guys that try to send me fucking um DMs. Yo, fellas, I'm not with none of that. Please stop it. But I definitely am with the women. Keep it coming and let's go. There you go. There you go. You know, one of the one of the questions, Christ, that I've been wanting to Christ bear that I wanted to ask you is how do you think uh, that you'll take this experience and channel that into and funnel it into your music, into your creative expressions? What do you envision that looking like? Um, I definitely envision that. I have a vision for that. I just see myself getting um just just more intricate about things that took place. Now there's things that took I'm gonna speak about that's a little bit crazy, you know what I mean? But there's some things that took place that I, you know, once I get um more comfortable with um this whole experience, you know what I mean? Because don't get me wrong, I'm still going through it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I I'm going to be able to really express um what this um you know what um what took place and what what brought what what uh brought what came up to that point and how I dealt with it is gonna be a lesson I think for generations to come how to overcome you know um tragedy you know what I mean mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I think that this is gonna be a great learning experience and be related to a degree where you know it's gonna live how long it's gonna live longer than me. You know? Right. Yeah, that's why I was asking that because I'd love to hear what that song, what that rap looks like, or whatever you'd, however you decide to put pen to paper on that experience to let it be a living document and like kind of like you said that it lives beyond you and after you. I'd love to hear what that you know what your takeaway is on that. Right. And I imagine that at single time you are a much deeper artist than you were before because this experience has obviously given you a lot of depth. It's given you some time to really think about what is meaningful and important and who you really are. No question. No question. It's definitely um, put me in a place where um, I don't feel I have to rush to do anything. Like the doctor was saying, I know there's a there's this message inside of me in the bosom of my soul that is, it, 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 I see it and it's, it's coming, it's developing, but I still get calls from people from Germany any random night and from Australia and here and they're like, man, I just discovered you. I didn't know who you are. And oh man, I, and I, I liked your music before I heard about this, but this makes me like you more, you know, because this triumph you overcome. So right. I definitely know um, this was a blessing, man. As crazy as it might sound to some right now, 20 years from now or 100 years from now, it's going to be seen like the blessing it really is, you know what I mean? Because um, I know that um, we teach that in, in Islam that God is, is Allah and that's arm, leg, leg, arm, supreme head. And I never questioned before a fact about Allah because I know I still got my arm, leg, leg, arm, supreme head. And if I knew I could have sex, I was ready to deal with that. So the fact that I can still have sex, oh my God. Like, so, there's no way I could wake up and just be mad, totally mad at anything. Just, oh, I'm just gonna, no, there's no way. It never, it never is too, it never is not uh, a point where I'm counting blessings and just thankful. You know what I mean? 
And I love that about my life. I can get up and kick and jump high. I can always find something to fucking want to touch the sky for. You know what I mean? Because it's a little simple things like a poet. I can just walk and just notice a dime on the ground that no one else sees. You know what I'm saying? I can see even more sensitivity, sensitivity to the beauty of my vision now. You know what I mean? So. I love I love that you said that because that's the one thing that I try to teach patients that are depressed or have anxiety or looking down and out. And I'm like, if you look at the negative, you're going to get more negative. If you constantly, your thoughts are constantly negative, that is what you're going to attract in your life. But you got to find beauty in whatever the situation. If you're in a job you hate, you got to find the beauty. Maybe it's that it pays me money and that, you know, at least I have flexibility and, you know, I can look for other jobs while I'm here. And, you know, my boss is really, you know, believes really believes in me a lot. You can always find some kind of beauty in whatever the situation is. And if you can find more beauty and be happy right here where you are in this moment, then you can move over there. But most people say, well, I want to go over there. I want that thing over there because that's going to make me happy. And that's going to make me happy. And that's going to make me happy. And I say, no, you can't have it until you get happy right here with what you got because you're going to move over there and be unhappy over there. So I love that you're you're highlighting like what I what I believe in a hundred percent. All praise do. Yeah, because I know that's just the, the the um the bread and circus. That's a mental thing too, with the 85% of the people. The, you know, the government, they've got this bread and circus constantly going on, you know what I mean? The sports and all these other trivial pursuits, you know what I mean? But no doubt about it, we definitely um have to look in and find out how beautiful this thing we have life really is. And for me, almost losing my life, that's what it took. I don't care. I do it over a million more times because I love this, this, this way I look at life and I see it now. You know? Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. And I, I think that that's actually a, a very beautiful point that you bring because so many people go through extremely tragic events mm-hmm. um, for what whatever reason. And out of that... <laughs> tragedy there's strength on the other side if you can just see your way through and when you get to the other side and there's that strength and you can have gratitude for having come through then there's growth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly and, beautifully said and yeah as as long as you're living you you have to be growing because if you're not growing then you're dying so you know our trials our tribulations just remind us that we're alive Mm yeah exactly if i had to go back and do this night over again you know and it was like okay five minutes before this event happened i would let everything take place there's nothing i would change you know what i mean there's nothing i would change you know because i definitely understand that um yeah, I definitely understand what 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 life is really um trying to say. You know what I mean to us that we can have eternal life, we can live forever. And I have discovered that, and that's something I'm gonna, like when the, uh, the doctor was talking. That's something I'm gonna be able to talk about too with my art. I see that that vision be able to be able to um you know um express you know what's unspoken kind of you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you have I mean you have a tremendous yeah. testament there. So I, you know, I do hope that as you're working your way through this, that you will go out and share your story and share the wisdom that you have brought out of that experience. And there will be receptive ears to that. There will be people who need to hear that. 
and and it will fall at the right time. You know, like they say, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. It's Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. I definitely um I definitely I definitely see it. I definitely see it, man. What you're saying. I definitely like it's like the um like the split um that that split experiment that the physics when it you know it says that when you when one person is observing the um the electron it, it, it acts a certain it way changes. when you're not observing it, it doesn't act a certain way. I, yes. you know, I just got that consciousness understanding now that Hey man, people will accept it. I'm not really worried about will they, will they, will they? No, nah, I get it. I'm in tune now. And I understand that what happens to one happens to all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just going to do, you're just going to express it and put it out there. And for whom it will work for, it will work for, and it will help, it'll help them when they, yep. in the moment that they need it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just have one more question for you, Christ bearer. Uh, Christ bearer. How did you come up with the name? Um, like I said, Islam and Nisha Islam, we believe that the most honorable Elijah Muhammad is, 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 it was, is, and will be the Christ, the most, you know, the most exalted Christ from God. So, um, I, it, it's like Elijah Muhammad bear. That's my, mm -hmm. that's, that's from, because he was the Christ and my, uh, he was the one that led me from a life of crime, you know what I mean? Hearing his, his wisdom from Farrakhan and Khalid Muhammad led me from a life of crime. And then from there, um, I just got into studying and, To the planet Earth, you know what I mean, and so that's why that's my ultimate goal to have really all the black men and white, all people, all colors too, just really hear that message to the black man from the black man, you know what I mean, and uh, mm -hmm. and, and clarity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I absolutely love the name because my son is named Christopher Gabriel, which is Christ bearer. God is my witness. So. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely appreciating it. Mm -hmm. So, Price Bear, thank you so much for coming out and, and sharing this very personal story with us. Uh, we appreciate the openness. And I mean, it actually has been very, very touching to see the growth that you've had out of this experience. And it, it's very... Um, it's inspiring. Oh, praise do Here you tell us your beautiful blue stocking as a black woman talk has inspired me too. Brother Hurricane, <laughs> I appreciate uh, uh, people like you, man. Oh, culture, my culture, man. You guys are doing a great thing. I want you guys to keep on doing what you do, man. I, I appreciate you guys for letting me feel so open to talk and not judging me at all. Are you the one of you single by any chance? <laughs> I'm serious. I, I'm I'm actually attached. <laughs> I am as well. Sorry. <laughs> some lucky brothers. Some blessed brothers. I believe in luck. I believe in luck. Blessed. Yeah. yeah. But I am sure there is an absolutely amazing woman out there that will be very very lucky to get you. I, I hope at least. Would you say you hope what? I hope at least about ten of them. About ten. Of them. 
I think uh, everybody yeah. listening right now is they're gonna want whatever you have. They want to have it too, because I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds, yeah. It sounds exciting, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, you gotta work. You gotta work. You gotta work with what you got. That's what they told me. You gotta work what you got. You absolutely. Know? And I, absolutely. That's what I'm doing. That's what well, I'm doing. You- you have embraced that. That is for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and there is the proof in the pudding that is not all about size, but more about technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because I'm loving this thing I got going on here. I'm loving this life. And I wouldn't trade it for nothing in the world. And I know this is not the first interview. Interview won't be the last. But I love to uh, be able to express the spirit that I've been blessed with. You know what I mean? And I, and I just we, would, we would love to have you come back when you when you do that song and uh, share it with us and explain the journey in the music. I would love to. I would love to. Appreciate the invitation. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, All right. And Dr. Wong. Thank you so much for, for being here, all of your, your insight. And if someone out there in our listening audience wants to get in touch with you, uh, wants to share in their mental health journey with your guidance, how do they reach you? You can uh, reach me on my website at www.drdrtaji.com. That's where you can find me. So, or just Google me, Yelp me, Dr. Taji Huang, I'm out there. So, and I'd love to reach as many people as I can to help people to find their path and find their journey. And I love what I do. And so I just hope that uh, there are uh, people, if they need me, they can locate me. All right. And you're located in Los Angeles, but do you do virtual visits as as well? Yes. So with COVID really changed the game for everybody. You know, prior to COVID, we're like, no, virtual Zoom doesn't work. It doesn't work, you know, uh, only in certain circumstances. And now we're like, oh my gosh, we can't go back to in person. So yes, I do virtual Zoom visits. So I see um, people throughout the state of California from the Bay Area all the way down to San Diego. So um, we can make that available to people. I try to make it available for people of all walks of life as well, because I believe that people, you know, because of lack of health care, shouldn't be not afforded the ability to get treatment. So um, reach out to me and we'll ensure that we get you some kind of intervention based on what you need. Mm -hmm. And again, as always, uh, we do put the information on our up onto our website. So you can always reach out to, to us if you if by chance you just don't even remember her, her name and you're like, you know, there was a psychologist on the show and and I, I need to reach her, reach out to us. We'll make sure that you make that connection. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So and we would love to have you back on the show again as well. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's a really a fun conversation, very lively and enlightening in so many ways. So I'm appreciative to be here. Thank you. And again, you have been listening to Chatters That Matters. And I am your show host, Dr. Cheryl Bryant-Bruce, MD, the celebrity doc, here with my co-host, Hisham Elamanti, Hurricane H. And I would like to remind you all Again, that you are your greatest asset. Invest in yourself. Invest in your health. Invest in your mental health. You deserve your very best. And on that note, 
please come back and join us again next week. Make sure you hit those like buttons. Make sure you hit the subscribe buttons. Go to my website, CherylBryantBruceMD.com. Hit the subscribe button there. And then head on over, hit hit the, the button and pull one of the shows. Head on over to the EMBC TV network and hit the subscribe button there. And follow us. We have these lively conversations every week, and we want you to be a part of it. Look forward to seeing you again next week. And next week, we have a big Father's Day show coming up. So special guest, be sure to be there. All right. We did it. That was fun. Wonderful. Right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That was that was fun. That was a, a really good conversation. And, and again, Christ Bear, we really appreciate your, your openness and your candor uh, about a very delicate situation. And uh, you know, it, like I said, it was very inspirational to see the growth and, and your attitude uh, surrounding. Is he, still on, is he on, on the call still? Uh, I, think, I, I think he dropped. He dropped no, he off. Dropped. Yeah, he yeah. he was right up under my uh my light. So it's so hard that you can't see, you can't can't see. Yeah, he, he he there. I see nothing, <laughs> Ricky. You know, Rick is still on, but but yeah, he dropped. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, I think it went well. When, you know, and he was he did so he was so open and so easy to talk to about, and wasn't embarrassed or any, like it was just yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was it, it was good. It was comfortable. It, it, it wasn't weird because you know? <laughs> I I was worried. It's like okay, this could get really weird and it could be awkward. So we uh, could go this way, but we 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 kept it. Yeah, we kept it pretty midland, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, that that oh, was good. He, he handled it very nicely. Yeah, and yeah. Um, thank you again. You know your 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 guidance also helped to keep that situation um, on, on even keel and um, very sensitive interaction with him. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm happy to do it. And like I said, if you guys want to reach back out, I'm always available. Okay. Well, I think that we'll be using you a lot because, you know, we've, <laughs> you know, we've got, a, we've got a whole year of, of mental health and hip hop. So. <laughs> I got a lot to talk about. <laughs> we'll be on you often. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on out there. Mental health is everything, I, I think. I mean, yeah, it's every day's life. So yeah. Yeah. yeah and I especially think- now with like the uptick of like, you know, like really public things like, you know, shootings and like, there was a moment there where I was like, really, like seriously, is there another situation happening at a grocery right. store or at a movie theater? At like, and so now people are really hip to this conversation and and right away saying like we need to up our mental health game and make it accessible and easy for people to talk about not shaming and all that you know right right absolutely absolutely and I know that um one of the conversations that I would like to have coming up and we'll probably tap on you um again at that point in time is a conversation about grief um because um Gosh, I can't even remember uh, his name. The young lady that just passed away, um, who had the the mommy makeover, and you know the. Are you talking about Kanye West's mom? 
No, no, or no. no. This, 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 you're talking about somebody else. No, this is this is just recent, like within the last week or so. Um, uh, one of the rappers, his uh, he and his girlfriend were very, very uh, public and, you know, just a beautiful couple. They had mm-hmm. young kids. I mean, she was getting a mommy makeover. So they had, they had a new baby and a couple of little kids. And she just, mm-hmm. she just passed away um, after the mommy makeover. And so, you know, they're dealing with that, uh, that grief. And then we have... Um, the young athlete that just died in, in childbirth, um, you know, mm-hmm. she, she died at home mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that family is, is, is grieving. And I mean, there's just, there've been a lot of losses. And know? grief is so vast in terms of individual differences with respect to how people manage and navigate right. grief even within cultural communities, within families, it really is very personal and individual about how people handle grief. Some people are removed from it. Some people are very like attached to it, you know? And so that would be really interesting to talk about it on a continuum in terms of what that would take a very long time to go through it. And some people transition through it fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and, you know, again, there are are lots of different types of, of, of grief, um, you know, grieving, grieving losses don't necessarily have to be deaths, you know? So I think that could be changes in careers, you know, and changes in, in their status, you know, that is all, that's all, you know, and, and, you know, I think it's also interesting to talk about when it's normalized and what society's view is on it in terms of the length. And then when society says, okay, you should be done now, like it's been, you know what I mean? And then when do we pathologize it? Right. Yeah. And I had that experience because I lost a child and I wanted to slap the stupid out of somebody because, you know, she had decided that after a year I should be over my grief. And, uh, you know, as you well know, losing a child is the the one that you never get over. Never, never. I lost a, I lost a fiance um, two days before we were getting married. Uh-huh. And I said, the only thing that would be worse than this would be losing a child. And I'll never forget, I've been in mental health, you know, my whole adult career. And it was a, um, a social worker who worked in one of the clinics that I worked in. And she came up to me and said, are, how are you doing? And it was like, it had happened like two days or so before, because I was like, I'm not going to stay home. I need to go work. I can't like, what am I going to yeah. do? Sit around and think about this stuff. Right. And when she asked, I, I guess my face must've turned or like my eyes welled and she put her hands up and backed away from me. And I'll never forget that. It was like, almost like I had the plague. Like she was like, oh, right. I don't know what all this is. And I thought to myself, wow, if even within the mental health field, you know, we have varying degrees of tolerance, right? Grief and what that looks like in terms right. of um, your professional career and like your ability to get back to it. So, yeah. I mean, we can obviously you could see. I'm like, oh, we can talk about a lot. <laughs> yeah, that conversation. I mean, we can have several conversations within that one. So, you know, I I, I may do grief as a series of um, of conversations actually because that's there's a whole lot to unwrap there. <laughs> sure. I agree. I agree. Yeah, that would be fun. Well, wonderful. Well, it was so nice to spend my evening with you guys. It's been a great stimulating conversation and I had a lot of fun with you guys. So thank you so well, much for having me. For joining us and you have a good Thank night. you, Doc. Yeah, you're welcome. Bye guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>